it's me, Sarah Russell, host of the Women's Domain podcast. Welcome to the very last episode of this season. Now, I've been able to speak to some extraordinary women doing this. I'm genuinely so grateful for this opportunity and I have learned so much about myself and about the experiences of others too. Now, if you've read our white paper, um, if not, please do. I will leave a link to it in this episode's description. But if you have read the white paper, you would have come across the Menstrual Health Project, which is run by two friends, Anna and Gabs. I think what I admire most about these women is their determination and bravery to speak about things so openly and both have that drive to help others. Two women who found each other, became friends, built a community and have embarked on a really special journey. I can't wait for you to hear their stories. Now, fair warning, we do talk about a lot of things that might be uncomfortable or trigger certain feelings, but the conversation is important and I encourage you all to take the time to listen. Here you go. Welcome, Anna and Gabs. Thanks for having us. To the Women's Domain podcast, thank you very much for joining me today. Um, For our listeners, you guys are the founders of the Menstrual Health Project. Yes. Um, So just to kick off, tell us a bit about how you guys met and what is the Menstrual Health Project? Do you want to tell the story of how we met, Emma? We met online. That sounds <laughs> Yeah, it sounds really bad. She slid into my DMs. <laughs> um, but no, it was on Instagram. So uh, both of us have advocated um, about women's health for a long time now. Yeah. Um, and supported each other over Instagram. And then we just started direct messaging and talking more and more. And it was... August two years ago, twenty one. Yes, yeah. That I said, oh, why don't you come up and stay with me for a week <laughs> randomly? So Gabs and her husband Aaron came up in a little front sheet op. Yeah, and they came to stay, and we've just been best friends ever since. So she's come up every month, nearly much every so, year, yeah. and our husbands are really good friends. Our dogs are really good friends. A bit too close, we say. A bit too close, yeah. Um, But, and then we, just because we suffer both with endometriosis and have had so much in common, we wanted to do something important and we didn't really know how. We knew what. Or what. (laughs) And then starting a charity came to mind. Didn't it? Yeah, so we did our first toolkit, the endometriosis diagnostic one, with a company called BU. So they sell natural pain relief patches and different other products. And we started with the toolkit and then we thought we'll start menstrual health just kind of as a community group. Yeah. Because we were umming and ahhing about starting a charity because we knew it would be quite a rigorous process. And then I think after many rants and vents of different health things, we just thought, let's start a charity. Yeah, I don't. I still now don't can't quite believe that we've got a charity. Yeah, so within um, a year we've done the endometriosis diagnostic toolkit and then the menstrual health for under 18s. We've been to Parliament. We have. We went to the APPG for endometriosis. One of our trustees is in Parliament today for the menopause APPG, um, representing menstrual health project. Yeah. But we wanted to start something that was a bit different to other charities that were out there like there's some amazing charities but I think 
we wanted to go in and kind of concentrate on education and workplaces and how to support those um regards to women's health menstrual health um and all that comes with that not just you know endometriosis but there's other there's so many other conditions you know whether that's polycystic ovaries abneomyosis um early menopause I think we needed to really shine the light on those because there's just not enough information out there about any of it. So let's talk to our listeners about why we are talking about women's health Mm -hmm. and not just health in general. What is it about the specific conditions and health concerns that women get, like endometriosis, that means that there does need to be more education? Like, What is the impact on us? Let's look at careers specifically. Mm -hmm. What is the impact on our career if workplaces and society in general aren't taking women's health concerns seriously. Might not have a career in general. Some yeah. we know a lot of people that can't work at all because of these conditions from a physical and mental health point of view, but also not having supported employers or the employers and other employees not having enough knowledge to support that person. Um and I think I'm a perfect example of that. I've had lots of jobs where my endometriosis has been really really bad or kind of the knock-on effect of chronic illness and also a lot of stress in the workplace as a result and I've ended up kind of being pushed out um so I only work part-time now and when I was younger I always thought I'd have this massive career and by the time I was like 30 I'd be kind of really high up doing something you have all these big dreams and then the reality of it is you need to adjust your life, your independence is completely gone, shrunk. So for those that don't really understand, let's look at endometriosis as an example. And I know there's yeah. many different conditions, yeah. Yeah. but you know, we spoke earlier and I think how we kind of agreed that a good way to describe endometriosis is a, a particular cancer yeah, that only body disease. Yeah, yeah, that affects women. So you know, however much detail you like, but I know you guys have your own experience with endometriosis and and just you know to really I think people really need to understand how detrimental it has been to your life yeah I think a lot of people don't understand um menstrual health conditions in general but especially endometriosis so if we look at it as a whole population 56% of the population don't know what endometriosis is that's a huge chunk of the population when it affects one in ten um women and those assigned female at birth so I think it's really important to shine a light on it for me different to Gab's in a sense that she had more of an impact in workplaces where I was lucky in my workplace that they were supportive but I had to miss out on my education so um, I was diagnosed as I was sitting my A-levels, so I missed sitting my A-level exams. I had to have cashing grades, um, and I went back the following year to resit them and had to have surgery again, exactly when my exams were. And even though I had good grades coming out of A-level, I could not go away to university with the condition I had because it just didn't support me within the education system. And... I remember going in with, you know, and it was lengthy letters from consultants saying, you know, the severity of the condition and this is why I'd been off for long periods of time. 
but no one understood and no one wanted to understand and I think that is the difference no one wanted to sit down with me and kind of support me through an application for universities they just said oh you may as well just go and try and get a job out of out of college there's no point even trying and it's like that attitude that oh well she's no she's not good enough because she's got this and I think you can't you can't just have a negative outlook on somebody just because they are suffering with a condition you need to support them because they'll flourish when you support them that's Mm -hmm. the difference you know like you can create amazing things like the way Gabs is with her job like for me I'm self-employed now and we start a charity yes our startup wasn't what we wanted but it doesn't mean that we can't achieve things just because we're poorly and I think that's the issue with society especially within workplaces and educational settings is they kind of kind of push you to a side if you're poorly and if you've got conditions like endometriosis because they think you're just being dramatic and they think you're just trying to make more of a fuss about something and I think it's because I think you'll back me up with this gals Mm -hmm. it's because it's a condition that only affects a certain amount of the population and if it affected everyone you know like both all genders I think it would be different um whereas there is only a certain part of money that goes towards funding for women's health especially so the research side of it it comes to you know you you talk a lot about education and Mm -hmm. you know going to workplaces and schools but actually the education kind of needs to start with your gp or the medical professionals yeah exactly and things like for us, what, what the second toolkit that we've brought out is the menstrual health toolkit. So it focuses for under 18. So when you start your periods, when you're about 9 to, to 18. And I think that was mainly because the curriculum is completely different wherever you are in the country. And yes, menstrual health education is, um, you know, is mandatory within England. It's not in Wales. It's not in Scotland. It's not in Northern Ireland. And in England, it varies in how impactful it is and how actually successful the education is. So, you know, you could be have great education in one school, but five miles down the road, they don't really touch on anything. And for us, we wanted to put all the information in one toolkit that people could access. Because I don't know how many times I had to miss sports because of my condition and I was told I was just being a drama queen and that I needed to just man up and that I just needed to get used to it because it was just a period. Mm-hmm. And it's like, for me, I've lost major organs because of the condition. And yes, it starts with your menstrual health, but it affects your whole body. You know, I'm 29, I'm fully menopausal now. And people look at you funny and think, oh, it can't be that bad. And they have no idea what's going on. Well, they think it can't be that bad because they don't know. Yeah, they, exactly. they, they literally haven't or and, and haven't tried to understand. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you described endometriosis to me earlier as like blister. Well, you said yeah. they're blisters, aren't they? They're kind of yeah. Roman um, fuse organs. Fuse organs, and it's like they. If you can imagine loads of blisters on infiltrate, that's God. Yeah, yeah, it's an awful word. I mean, how like honestly, when it comes to women's bodies, can things stop infiltrating us? I know. When when they show you the pictures post surgery, I remember when my my consultant was like, "Your bowels stuck to your pelvis," and the thought 
And then he said, after I've unstuck it, then I put this gel there to try and keep it getting stuck again. And then the thought of it, Mm. and I think what blows my mind constantly is the impact it has across your whole body. Like for me, Mm. my endometriosis has caused me horrific chronic pain. So I've had loads of injections on my back to try and stop the pain. I've had a denovation, which is where they go in and burn off severed nerves. Um, I'm now under gastro, fertility, pain management. So it's, it affects every element of your body and your life. Mm. And it's really exhausting. It's almost like you're juggling all of these different and things. all those things you've just said, you've not even touched on mental health. Mental yeah. health, yeah. But I mean, like, yeah. that's what I mean, like the impact. And they never saw it. Um, I think, especially today, you know, like society today, there's such a kind of highlight on mental health more and more now. But one thing there isn't is mental health for women. Um, I, it's almost an attitude with women that we should just get on with it and that we should just... Put be, up and shut put, up. Yeah, put up mm. and shut up and just be, you know, just be fine. But and that it, massively impacts, like, with us, where we've been chronically ill with endometriosis and kind of the knock-on effects for so long... You program yourself to yeah. tolerate more pain, more trauma mentally. Mm. Like this morning, I had a conversation with my pain consultant. She's like, you've tried everything. There's nothing else we can give you. And I've just felt this anxiety building all day. But it's things like we decompartmentalize until something happens where a surgery gets cancelled or an appointment mm. doesn't happen. And then the floodgates open. Mm. And I don't think we think enough about the medical trauma and all of that kind of emotional well-being is really really impacted just as much as the damage to your body the damage to your mind is irreparable isn't it yeah there's just there's nothing so like for me I've had my large bowel removed and I'm having my bladder removed in the near future and I'm um fully menopausal at 20 well I'm 29 now but at 28 I had a full hysterectomy and there's no support nothing so you know I've had huge life-changing surgeries I've got a stoma bag on my stomach for life now I'll have another stoma bag on my left side for my bladder and you're just expected to just deal with it and there's no support offered but yet when you speak to men that have had stoma bags due to ulcerative colitis or you know cancers they get counselling but why do we not get it because it's it's come from a menstrual health condition. It's very much you've got endometriosis, endometriosis off you go. Deal yeah. with it on your own. There's no yeah. you've been diagnosed. Right, we're going to refer you to pain management. You're going to have some counselling, or we'll look at other things for your bladder, your bowel, your fertility. Because that's a massive thing. If you're a woman who wants to have children, being told pre-surgeries that you may never be able to have children or when you're going down they're like oh if anything's compromised you're happy I've taken your tubes or your ovaries and in that split decision when you've got your gown on ready to go down you've got to be like yes or no you can't speak to your partner your family or anything and I think for both of us fertility was a massive massive thing that I'm trying to start my fertility journey now and it's really difficult there's constant blockades up all the time and I think that's something that I've really struggled with alongside working is the fertility element. And then even with that, you don't get any support. You don't get any help with that because mentally it's so draining. Like I'm I'm going to be 31 this year and you do feel that clock ticking a bit because 
they say, oh, you can have kids kind of into your late 30s and stuff. But in the fertility world, you can't because mm. there's a cutoff for that. So I think, and even when we say to people about all the different things, we've had surgeries mm. and kind of managing it, they're like, oh, I didn't realise it affects that. And it's almost yeah. like they don't believe it. Yeah. So there is that massive gap in education where, like, Anna's a living, it's not like you can see. We say it's an invisible illness, but there's I some elements that yeah. aren't. And, you know, you do, I've had nurses and doctors say to me when I've had to go through, you know, A&E departments and stuff, when I've had bowel blockages with my stoma and they go, oh, I never knew endometriosis could affect you that mm-hmm. bad. And, you know, that's medical professionals yeah. saying that. So for people, you, you know, wanting the help and wanting support and going into doctors and then the doctors are saying that, you don't have that much hope you know, that they're actually listening to yeah. you. And for me, it it is such an invisible condition because I found, especially, I wasn't really taken seriously. Even though I was diagnosed, when I'd have to go via A&E departments or if I was referred to a different department, whether that was fertility or whether mm. urology or colorectal, nothing really shifted until I had something physical to show for it. So, you know, I've lived with a catheter for four years and now a stoma for three years. And it's only now that they go, oh, actually, she's actually really poorly. Mm. When really it shouldn't take it's it. It's that stigma, it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but it shouldn't have to take that no. to change the attitude of somebody. And I think that's where we want to change, you know, People's the perspective. Because yeah. Yeah. it's things like using a disabled toilet or having yeah. a blue badge. The dirty looks that we get oh. from people when we park there. I had someone come up to me and goes, do you know this is disabled? I was like, do you know I have a badge? And they're like, oh. And asking, yeah. and we both got radar keys to use the disabled toilet, but if you have to go into a service station and ask for it, the grilling you get you for get, it. Yeah. And, it's, and even sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't know if I should use the disabled toilet. You kind of have, again, because it's what's been kind of programmed into your brain that this is how disability and... Yeah, because if you're going into a garage, you don't want to go tell the spotty teenager behind the counter or like your medical history. Yeah, Yeah, and you shouldn't feel like you have to. No, I mean, this is not quite the same thing, but I do remember after having my first boy and I had an emergency C-section, I had to go and get quite strong painkillers from the pharmacy. And I walked up and I I asked for them and I thought it was a prescription or something. And this young guy behind the counter was like, um, or do you pay for your prescription? I said, no, no, um, maternity exemption. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I haven't got my card yet. Like, because I obviously do everything last yeah. minute. I didn't get it. Because oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to see a, a card. I'm sorry, otherwise you can't have your, um, your exemption. And I was like, how about I just show you my C-section instead? How <laughs> you about I just want to say things like that? Well, I did, yeah, and he just like, have a nice day, madam. Because it was like, how much, in, you know, how much do you not trust that a woman yeah. just needs? It's so intrusive sometimes. Yeah, isn't it? I've done that in actually it was Chester Zoo in the zoo and they're very good because they are um their toilets are very inclusive you know they say not every disability is um visible and all this but I had to use it to empty my catheter and I had my daughter with me and she was about four at the time and went in and came out and this woman came up to me and said you do know um they're not just to uh, jump the queue Mm -hmm. and I turned around and I had a skirt on because it was summer and I said, you do know I've got a catheter bag and showed him a catheter. And I was like, how rude yeah. and like how dismissive can you be 
to judge someone. And that's why I've been told for years by my GP to apply for a blue badge because I've had, you know, so many surgeries that cause debilitating chronic pain. Stability issues as yeah. well. Really and hard. the issue is with surgeries that you have fentometriosis, yes, it's removing the disease, but then it grows back. So you have to have multiple surgeries, but then that damages your nerve function. So you end up with nerve damage constantly. And, you know, it took me years to kind of apply for it. And when I did apply for it last year and I got it and I didn't want to use it, I was almost like scared what people would say. And I parked up in Tesco in the same, and I was like, I'm going to use it today and got out. And this old man directed me and said, how can you be disabled driving that car? Mm. Now, I only drive a Discovery Sport, so it's not, you know, it's not a monster truck and it's not a flash car. But it was like, how can you judge someone by their car for parking in a disabled bay? It's the the assumption that you're trying to get away with something other than assuming that you have a, a condition you can't see. Yeah. And I wonder whether um, if you'd been a bloke, he would have said anything oh, to no. you. And that, what I find really funny is when I'm with my husband, no one ever yeah, comments. Same. But if I'm on my own, they'll comment. I wouldn't dream, even if someone didn't have a disabled badge in the window, I wouldn't, no. to be honest, it's nothing to do with exactly. me. Exactly. I'm like, it's the same with disabled toilets. Sometimes, like for me, where I have IBS and a lot of damage on my bowel... I need to go in there because yeah. it's that privacy. Yeah. Like, and it's it's horrible having to use public toilets when you're like I've been in positions where I really poop myself. Well, I mean, myself. it's horrible to use public toilets when you don't have uh, a condition. condition. <laughs> yeah. So it's for that comfort. Like when yeah. we were coming up here today, I said, "Dan, we've got the train." I was like, "I really need to use the toilet." And it's that fear for us that yeah. what's going to happen if we don't have access to a toilet yeah. quickly. Mm-hmm. So it's like when you're driving, you have to really plot out where toilets are. And kind of for me, like working, I can only kind of be out of the be out of my house after like eleven because that chunk in the morning, mm-hmm. I've had to cancel so many meetings or take the morning off work because I'm stuck on the toilet. Yeah. And it's hard. And I think one thing is learning to be kinder to yourself because I put so much pressure on myself when it comes to work that I'm kind of letting everybody else down because Mm. if I'm there, I want to be like 100%, attend every meeting, be like superwoman. Mm. But in in reality, that's just not how my life looks with work and that's okay. But it's that realisation, isn't it? And I think it's difficult for women when you want to be independent financially with work and stuff to have to take that step back essentially it's yeah. Well, it's, I think it? it's difficult. And you know, if we go into talking about education and the impact it has on women in the workplace, mm. it's uh, women having to ask to be treated differently mm-hmm. because that never seems to bode well for them no. from a promotional yes. or career development point of view. It's always yeah. being seen as a bad thing, isn't it? So, yeah. like for me, um, I was brought up by my mum, who's very career driven. Um, she was mental health nurse she worked with um neurosurgeons and she was told if she took any more than i think it's six weeks off maternity it'd affect her pension so she went back to work very quickly after both me and my brother and i just think like it shouldn't have to be that pressure 
you know, to go back to work. And it's the same... Unrealistic, with, isn't it? Yeah, and it's the Absolutely. same when you're poorly. You know, I. it's kind of... You're having this surgery and you don't want that pressure of being told, right, you've got two weeks and you've got to be back in work. And it's like, you know, you're penning in when it should be. And every person is different. You know, you might have post-op infections or you might fly, like, breeze through your your recovery you just don't know mm. and I think that is the issue within education and workplaces is they don't see it on an individual basis and women do get the um lower end of the scale when it comes the brunt of the stick yeah, yeah totally yeah, 100%. so looking at the mental health project so I think what's really exciting about about this, your organisation mm-hmm. really is that a you're you're also building a community because yeah. I think my experience with the women's domain is that we thrive when we're in a community and we learn a lot by yeah. talking to each other and talking openly and honestly yeah. without fear of judgment or you know talk, talking about periods and I think like with we talk about poo on, on yeah we we're, yes. we're so open and I think people really like that. I think when yeah. we were first diagnosed with endometriosis, there wasn't this community online no. of people talking about all the different conditions. And now, like, I remember someone was like, oh, would you do this for us? But is there certain things you don't want to talk about? So I like, talk about pill on the internet. I literally yeah. have pictures of me on the toilet. Yeah. I remember when, so my, when I, so I was diagnosed with bowel endometriosis when I was diagnosed just before I was 18. And then after I had my daughter when I was 22, it got really bad. It grew back really aggressively on my bowel and my bladder. And my bowel started getting awful and to the point I was getting incontinence, um, bowel incontinence. And I'd have to go back and to, to the hospital to see my colorectal surgeon. And I'll never forget, he gave me a leaflet to have what they call sacral nerve stimulator, which is like a little pacemaker in your spine. And it goes in your sacral nerve and it controls your bowel muscles. And he gave me this um, leaflet and it had elderly people on it and it was no young people representing having a sacral nerve stimulator. And I went and had that done. I had a trial and then I had the permanent one fitted in my sacral nerve. But I was having, I think, I, so I would have been 23, 24 and I was having bowel incontinence. You know, I'd take my daughter out and I'd myself constantly and I didn't know I was doing it so I'd feel like I needed to go to the toilet to go and sit on the toilet nothing would happen and then I'd be walking around the zoo and then all of a sudden I'm like hang on something's not right and it's because my bowel was just basically spasming constantly it didn't it, I had no um sphincter control in my rectum because of all the damage and it literally so when you muscles are meant to contract mine would relax and do vice versa and no one spoke about it mm. and it was a huge taboo especially mm. in young people to talk about something like that and I was like do you know what I'm just going to talk about it on my Instagram on, on my story it's really therapeutic yeah as well. and I used my Instagram more like a um, virtual diary to yeah. kind of just get it off my chest more than anything and the amount of people who were messaging me going, oh my God, this is me with this condition. Mm. And not necessarily with endometriosis, but with other bowel conditions. But they're like, we never see women talk about it. Mm. Because 
it's embar it's it's not embarrassing, but people make, make you it. feel yeah. that yeah, it's embarrassing. Because if you were a, a woman who was travelling to and from work and you're having that experience mm -hmm. and you you know, all you would need is the permission to work from home mm -hmm. and to ask your manager, your boss, can I work from home or because I'm having... Yeah. What do you share with them? Because you should just yeah. say to them, because uh, I'm, it, I'm having an impact, you know. Yeah, I, I I'm pooing myself. I'm pooing myself. I texted my, I text on my the boss train, the other but... day because I got stuck on the toilet for about three hours. I always get up a little bit earlier to allow myself that time, but sometimes it never works like that. So I just text my boss and I was like, I'm having a really bad flare-up. I'm like my bowel just isn't happy I'm stuck on the toilet luckily my boss is around the same age we talk about a lot of things but prior to where I work now I would just I would just say something else kind of along the lines of I'm having a really bad flare mm, I need to I've stay at home yeah. Yeah. yeah which then means that your employer doesn't really understand the impact of your condition and what yeah. it's what it means for you today yeah. but they also some some like from you your experience and also like speaking to other sufferers is that they don't want to know sometimes mm. like you sit there to try and explain what's going on but they cut you off and mm. they don't want to know or they play it down as well I remember exactly. one of my old bosses she came over to me I'd just come back from being off sick I felt really nervous to go in the office because no one was like oh welcome back they're all just very like grilling me mm. So my head of department came out and she started grilling me in front of everyone because she thought she knew it all because we went to the same GP. Mm. And I remember I was telling her about like fertility stuff and she was like, oh, well, you can just get pregnant at some point. You don't have to do that now. Like really mm. inconsiderate, horrible things. And it, it builds up so much dread. Sometimes it's not the going back. It's more that fear of how you're going to be kind of received back yeah. in the workplace. And I remember there was one colleague I had and I'd gone to a hospital appointment and then I'd gone for lunch after. I was off sick at this point and she told my manager that I was basically skiving. Mm -hmm. And it's things like that, people you're supposed to work with who should support you. And if they don't understand something, they could ask you, or really, it's none of their business. Yeah. And I remember my manager like, had a massive go at me and I just thought, but I've gone for an appointment, like I'm allowed to go and eat after. Mm. And I remember for years, like I never used to speak about my endometriosis, like online or to anyone, my family, because you feel like you're dramatizing it, you're making it sound worse than it is. But in reality, like that's how it is. And we yeah. feel like we have to play it down so much because society, like you said, doesn't actually want no. to know how you really are and what you're really going through. I used to go into work and I have like an amazing, I worked there for 10 years and an optician and had an amazing team over that time. But um, it was predominantly female, but there was a lot, there was a few males, but they tend to be opticians or dispensing opticians. And they'd always ask me how I was. And I was like, do you know what? I'm going to make this my mission to educate them on what, is wrong with me because otherwise if they just carry on going through their work life mm. they're never going to understand if I don't explain it to them so I was like N right I'm going I'm just going to speak openly about right, it right <laughs> and I think Here you know <laughs> obviously within reason you don't come out say everything but I think it is important because there isn't that education especially hopefully through the younger generations now, there will be more understanding. But with 
be that cultural change I guess yeah I think so but with that like our generation you know from 20s up I think we need to be able to have those conversations openly to talk about it with everybody because that is the only way people will understand Mm. and you shouldn't have to face judgment within educational and workplace settings and I think that's the biggest yeah. So, you know, let, let's look at the workplace, because I think, you know, part of the women's domain is, is you know, we really wanted to help e-commerce businesses mm-hmm. sort of put in practical steps that will help women and help the representation of women in the industry and, and certain things that impact them like women's health. And, you know, over the year, we've, we've done our own research and we signed the menopause pledge and we signed up to Endometriosis UK and um, or Endometriosis endometriosis uk friendly workplace, workplace yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean i can't even say endometriosis let alone spell it my dad still calls it endometriosis but yeah. they just name everything these really long difficult things to yeah. spell so it's just to scare people Endo- into talking we just say about Endo. it um, and we have our period box where we've got you know sanitary products there that. for people just yeah, to grab when they need it but from your perspective, you know, you talk a lot about the Menstrual Health Project wanting to go into workplaces to help facilitate education. Mm-hmm. What practical steps would you like to see more employers taking to facilitate a better environment for women with health issues? Or actually just women's health in general? I'd say in regarding women's health, I think what we would like to do eventually to enable workplaces yeah is to do like an e-learning that people that everyone has to do to kind of understand you know you have dementia training you have mental health training and all this I think it's really important with women's health because let's face it we don't get a choice whether we have periods or not it's something you're just part or all of the knock-on effects thereafter yeah exactly and the same with menopause women don't get a choice whether we go into menopause or not um and i think we need to do individualized kind of plans with certain employees if they're um suffering with certain conditions you can't box off women all in one category you can't just refer to your policy and go oh so you can have yeah. flexible working yes and what we'd like to do is we have lots of toolkits in the making that we want to do kind of covering every different condition and concern so have those available for workplaces as well and I guess for me and Anna we'd like to go into workplaces and obviously do seminars on I guess either general women's health or specific seminars say if there's a company where they have there's a company that contacted us they have three or four employees that all have endometriosis so if they wanted kind of specialized seminar on endometriosis so yeah we've got lots planned in the works yeah I think as well you know with doing things like seminars it gives the option for people who don't quite understand certain things to ask questions openly without judgment um and then we can answer it you know and I think because it is a lot of information granted you know women have to put up with a lot (laughs) you know what's funny is that women apparently live longer but in suffering because you think you do your period you have all these biological conditions and then you go into menopause yeah where's the break yeah (laughs) and and we don't have a pension (laughs) no exactly so and and that's the big fun being a woman isn't it yeah (laughs) (laughs) if they definitely who you know making us was not fair 
with women. But I think it is important that, um, because we've got to be understanding that there hasn't been that education in previous years regarding women's health. So we can't expect people to know everything. And we're talking about women as well. So yes. it's not just educating men. Horrible no, men, because they're not. No, it's, it's about everyone. It's educating it's, women yeah, as well. As if we went in somewhere and we're talking about endometriosis, and there's someone who's thinking, actually, those sounds like the symptoms I'm going through. Yes. And then it's because when I got diagnosed, my mum saw a tiny little article in a paper about endometriosis and she's like, I think you've got this. And I literally took the clipping to my GP and I was like, I think I have this. Can you please refer me now? And they did. But that's, you've got a good GP there. I did. I yeah. didn't perform. No. She was horrific. I remember I had my first transvaginal ultrasound and it was so painful. It was the first thing I'd ever had like that. I was like, 20 so I hadn't had any smears or anything and I cried the whole way through went and saw this not so nice GP and she was like it's inconclusive you have, you have to go for another one so robotic so cold and I was like but it was really painful and I'd missed my gynae appointment the week before because I was so poorly and she was like well if you really cared about your health you would have gone to your appointment and I walked out and said some obscenities to her which isn't the best thing to do but I then went back a few months later, saw a different GP because I'd gone to A&E about five or six times and she looked at my scan and she was like, oh, I actually can see some traces of endometriosis. It wasn't inconclusive. So whether she couldn't be bothered to look at it or she didn't know what she was looking for, I don't know what's mm. worse. And yeah. then they referred me to Guiney. But it's like we were saying before, it's those Yeah, I think as mishaps. well, like we were on a meeting the other day and we were talk, you know, talking from other side there was other sufferers giving their stories and um, there was one young girl who had made out so the doctor had made out that she basically had a sexually transmitted disease even though they hadn't tested her and they said her symptoms sounded very similar to it now this was all in front of her parents and she was very religious as well and yet there was it went on to them be um endometriosis but mm-hmm. it actually she had no nothing of the sort but yet they made that assumption and put that seed and she said it made her feel like minuscule that they'd just jumped to the jump the gun judgment, and yeah. gone mm-hmm. this is what it is without even exploring any other options and it's like you know you're vulnerable when you're not well and that I think that's why we wanted to create our toolkits because we've had such amazing feedback in the sense of people, it's a free downloadable so they can either have it on their phone or print it off and they take it into their GP. And, and what's the website address just so people know? So it's www.menstrualhealthproject.org. Org.uk. There you go. We've just, we've just changed. You can tell it. that Gabs has been training up. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I think for us, it's it's giving people that confidence yeah. that we didn't have initially because yeah. now we're going all guns blazing. We're confident as anything, but there's not people like that no. at different stages of their journey. I think as well, you society makes you think that medical professionals especially doctors, consultants, are meant to know everything. And, and they they're know only, your body as well. Yeah, and they're only human. You can't humanly possible, possibly know everything. But you would hope they would know the right information for what you're going to them with. And the reality is they don't, a lot of them. And they're not trained on updated training on women's health especially. 
And I think whereas these toolkits give people the confidence to question mm-hmm. um, if somebody is saying no I'm not referring yeah. you without a valid re- there is no valid reason to be refused a referral if you have endometriosis okay. symptoms whether you've got amniomyosis symptoms or polycystic ovary symptoms you are entitled to that referral and that's what our tool- toolkits outline is to give you that confidence that you might not have had prior. Or gives you the confidence to advocate for yourself. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's going back 10 years, mm-hmm. if not more, with oh, me. Um, we didn't have that. You know, we no. believed everything they said to us. And when, before I was diagnosed, when that consultant said to me, she completely dismissed my symptoms. She also made me go through all the ST, um, STI tests when it was just mortifying. They were all negative, but still it was mortifying because she made out that was what was the issue. It's humiliating, isn't it? it Especially is. at that young age yeah. where yeah. you're kind of, you're not a teenager anymore. You're kind of early 20s. You're trying to figure out well, who you are. earlier than that. I was 16. You know, I was only just turned 16 and they were making it out to be that and it it makes you feel like nobody you know that nobody cares you've gone crazy that's gone crazy and what you mentioned before about gaslighting oh Oh. gosh like i got i've (laughs) i've got a copy of the letter from my first gynecologist saying that i needed refer uh, a referral to psychiatry because I had a negative outlook on illness mm-hmm. and that my symptoms were in my head. And it was only four months after that, I was then diagnosed with stage four endometriosis. And he said, you're riddled with it. I had to have a bowel resection. I had a drain in my stomach. I had it removed off my bladder. I had my peritoneum, so my wound lining completely stripped. Jesus. And they, I had that letter in black and white that this consultant had said that, I was going crazy and I remember waking up from the surgery with my um gynecologist who who diagnosed me and he said you've got it you've got endometriosis and he didn't have a doubt that I had it because from what I had told him he was like almost certain I had it but he said I'm really sorry it's so extensive I'm gonna have to go back in in two weeks time because he needed a bowel surgeon with him and I remember the overwhelming feeling of being relieved relieved and like, ha- not happy, but kind of like, oh my God, I'm not going crazy. And that relief that, you know... That- That's extraordinary though. Yeah. Bella, because you've just been told you had stage four endometriosis mm-hmm. and that he wasn't able to remove, remove it all. Mm-hmm. Yet... Because you were validated, because you had proof then that it wasn't in your head, mm-hmm. even though you knew it wasn't. Yeah, you still had that feeling of relief. Oh, yeah, and yeah. You that's know, what I had. It's crazy because they almost think that's the end of your journey of endometriosis no. when you get, and that's just the beginning. That is just basically opening Pandora's box for what's to come. Because yeah. I remember my chronic back pain got so bad, I got referred up to London to a um, specialist then and then his kind of end diagnosis was that he wouldn't do a denervation that I should just have some CBT because you know mind over matter yeah and I understand that 
counselling and the mental health support is one element of dealing with a chronic illness and endometriosis, mm. but it's not going to solve everything. No. It's dealing with all that trauma. And there's times now even we get gaslit and oh, dismissed. Yeah. And it brings everything back up. It's literally it haunt- like a volcano, isn't it? Yeah, it haunts you. And things like, you know, I remember, I don't know what I was doing. I think it was for my blue badge. I think it was that the, I had to explain all my medical history. And I was looking back, I keep everything. I'm a bit I put mine into year, year yeah. folders. And, and you know, they're huge <laughs> folders. And, um, you know, waking up from that surgery and feeling that relief you only I think back and think I feel really sad Mm. that I had to feel that way you know I'd just been diagnosed with a disease that has no cure it can be so damaging and I had no idea what was going to face me over the next 10 years they don't really tell you either do they no and like I was lucky that surgery that I didn't wake up with a stoma bag then because my consultant managed to kind of you know, um, control it. But he did say to me after that, he said, you're looking at a stone bag in the future because I don't think this is um, going to stay away. And, but yeah, I felt happy that I'd been diagnosed when really that's not how I should have been feeling. But yet they, the previous consultant had made me feel so low and made me doubt myself so much that I thought I was going nuts. You know, like I used to sit there and think, am I making this up? Is this pain just in my head? They make you question everything. Whereas the biggest piece of advice that I will tell anybody, trust your body. You know your body. You know your body better than anybody. And... If it's telling you something's wrong, something's wrong. Um, but you shouldn't have to fight so hard. I remember having a massive row with the registrar because I'd gone in, I'd had my first surgery in about six months. I was in pain again. I wanted to see my consultant, but he wasn't available. She came in, she was really patronising, drew me a picture of how endometriosis works. And she was like, why are you here? I was like, I really need another surgery. I'm in a lot of pain. She was like, well, it's not really your decision. Your consultant will decide that. that." And I said, well, it's my body. And she like slammed her hand down. She was like, oh, your body, your body. This is all I ever hear from women. It's not your decision. You won't decide that. And I got really upset because I thought it's it's all that courage to go back again. You're Mm -hmm. in pain again to ask for another surgery, not knowing what's going to be the answer. And I started crying. I got really hysterical. I was on my own. There was a medical student in there, a nurse. I was like, I'm not leaving until I see my consultant. I got to see him and straight away he was like, yep, you need another surgery. I then made a complaint about this registrar. And the response I got back was that I was so abusive to her that she then needed counselling. And my account of the events was incorrect because the nurse and the medical student had basically agreed with what she said. So it's things like that. Where my consultant, if I'd seen him in the first place, he's fantastic. He'd mm-hmm. gone, yep, you need another surgery. Yeah, yeah. And that was, a, that was a woman telling me that as well. It's not your body. It's not your like choice. And every time we've gone in and said, we need another surgery, we've been right. Yeah. There's been something there. And it's like, I'm not going to risk that. I'm going to go straight away and say, I feel like I've got this. or Because you get things like pelvic inflammatory disease, cystitis, yeah. yeah. all these different things. And now I'm very alert and aware if anything starts I'm going to speak to my consultant I'm going to speak to 
whatever but you have like your toolkit etc and you have yeah. your experience and yeah. you know how to advocate for yourself so I think like as we wrap this up like what is your hope for women who have these conditions you know and for women and workplaces in mm. general like you know if we could fast forward how many years your months you want to mm-hmm. you want to look to what would be a win for you that we have better education in schools and colleges with mm-hmm. our toolkits um, to start that straight away. So it potentially down the line cuts down referrals and diagnoses. And I guess for workplaces, it's ensuring that more employers are looking at their policies, looking at their organisation as a whole and including training yeah. and better kind of flexibility and adjustments for people with endometriosis and women's health issues. And it's not just seeing it as a whole, it needs to be seen as an individual, um, especially within workplaces and education, I think, you know, talking about gaslighting, we, I had to be referred for a second opinion to sign off on a surgery, because I was so young, it had to be on, uh, signed by two, and I went, and he basically told me, just, just go home and make another baby, and that was the answer. And I think, again, that's the perception for women is that, especially when it comes to sentiment, have a baby or have a hysterectomy. Have a baby or have a hysterectomy. One like, extreme to the other. Because your future is either motherhood or barren. Yes. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, basically. And I think that is, that has to change. Yeah. You know, it can't, Absolutely. It can't be such a life changing option you know but they make it sound so oh, just go make a baby or just have a hysterectomy yeah, well, like you're going for a root canal mm-hmm. i was told at 18 to have a hysterectomy yeah. if i had a hysterectomy at 18 because there was a doctor who didn't really know what he was doing i would never have had my daughter mm-hmm. you know so it's yes women with endometriosis and other conditions have hysterectomies but it should not be the first option. And it's not the only option. And it shouldn't be the the easy option because they can't be bothered to do anything else to investigate. And I think there's such a, there is a perception that because it is, it's such a, um, like prehistoric um, view on endometriosis that if you get pregnant, you're going to be absolutely fine after, after you've had a baby. For me, my disease grew back much more aggressively now that doesn't happen for everybody but it did for me mm-hmm. but if all the information out there is saying have a baby you should be fine what are people going to think they're going to yeah. think oh well she's we fine. want the information to be better and more yeah. accurate and yeah. that's yeah. what we're trying to do with these two areas is education yeah. and workplaces because they are kind of the biggest yeah, pivotals in your life, aren't they? Being at school, that education, then going into workplaces. So we'd like more accurate information and hopefully our information yeah. in these places and that MHP is providing that support and resources to people. Yeah, because we work with specialists and like from our own experience as well because it you should not underestimate a patient's perspective no. either. But obviously, regards to the way the NHS works, that we that's why we work with specialists as well. But we're conscious of being a patient-led charity, yes. and I think that sometimes isn't always taken into account. And because we are patients, and we've kind of started two of us trying to help others, 
we really want it to be about what people need and what they want now mm. to yeah. try and I guess relieve people of that hopelessness and mm. that kind of they're desperate they're desperate for these things now because we get so many messages people are in work how do you get your, your employer to support you and I think that's a big thing to try and help people stay in work yeah and also at school because mm. I remember being off school all the time really poorly with stomach issues yeah because of endometriosis so it's Again, helping people stay in school so they can do their GCSEs, their A-levels, because of my GCSEs were terrible, yeah. and I had to sit them from home. Well, I think, you know, it's been so good talking to you guys, and I think with organisations like the Mental Health Project, the Women's Domain, you know, we can really raise awareness yes. and help women and support women, mm-hmm. and so they can have the careers they want, regardless of what health conditions yeah. Um, yeah. they're suffering from. So I'm really excited to work with you guys um, in the We're future. And um, I, honestly, I can't wait for people to listen to this podcast. Um, Thanks for having us. Because they will learn something. Yes. They will. They will. And they I will. think that's a majority of people are willing to learn. Mm. And I think you just need to give them the opportunity to learn. And that's what isn't out there at the moment. And that's what we're trying to change and to update. And like yourselves with the women domain, that's what you're doing, you know, to give people the opportunity to be able to understand. Um, and that's really powerful to be able to give that to people. 100%. Well, thanks, guys. Thank you thanks so much. Having- did you learn something? I did women's health it needs more attention workplaces need to pay it more attention and there is still so much learning that needs to be done if you are affected by any of the conditions we spoke about in this episode then please don't brush it aside or think you're alone i'll leave a link to the mental health project's website in the episode's description where you'll find a heap of information to help you thank you so much anna and gabs for being so open and for taking the time to chat to me so that's it for another season If you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoy this podcast, please share the love by liking or rating it. And to make sure you never miss out on an episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time. Bye bye.